Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Runes of Empire. While we are proud to report that our audience appears to grow week by week, we have noticed very few comments on podcasting sites like iTunes or Stitcher. Now, my huge writerly ego is above such trivial concerns, but I have reason to suspect that producer Sean is feeling a little bit unloved. I notice him sometimes writing morose poetry when we are recording, and his working copy of the book has several more tear stains on it than it did when I first gave it to him. So if you could, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It helps increase the visibility of this little project, and it might just give producer Sean that little boost he needs to get through another recording session, and will make sure your enjoyment of the story is not ruined by the sound of him softly crying in the background. And as always, thank you for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 13 As the fervor of Adriana's purge grew, it fell from the top floors of the gleaming skyscrapers to the city streets. Any shop, restaurant, or other business not perceived by the police or the local paramilitary groups to be Brazilian enough were raided and burned in the name of the Lady of Fire. Their owners were deported, imprisoned, or, in many cases, just disappeared. When asked to restrain her followers, Adriana famously replied, The Brazilian people are a passionate people. They are a patriotic people. I will not punish that. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Isra and Althea followed the Arenhas emissary through the winding streets of Cytheria, along with a small cadre of soldiers. As they made their way through the crowded thoroughfares and narrow passages, Celia extolled the innumerable virtues and civic accomplishments of Cytheria. Isra noted that Althea was quiet. She stared off into the distance, never focusing on any one thing more than a few moments, and she walked as if every movement were against her will. Whatever Althea saw last night rattled her more than she wanted to let on. Isra was quiet as well, preferring to let the emissary go on and on about the various villas, fountains, and public buildings they passed, everything a testament to the glorious reign of Arenha Isabel and the strength of her people. But the entire time they walked, Isra felt a strange force pulling on her mind. At the same time, there was this irritating, nagging sensation, like pins being pushed into the back of her mind. She felt it when she looked into the eyes of the occulto. She hadn't noticed it before, but a few bore strange scars that ran from their cheeks to their foreheads across an eye that was fused shut. When they walked past, Isra swore she could hear soft whispers, and shadows occasionally disappeared into alleyways as they approached. The area around them opened up to reveal a vast space, large enough to contain the biggest stadiums or coliseums on earth. Everywhere Isra looked, Cytherian soldiers ran, drilled, and trained on fields of white sand. Metal clashed against metal, 
Hundreds of footsteps crunched on the gravel paths in between the training areas. The place reeked of sweat and blood. Celia waved her arm at the entirety of what was laid out before them. This is Campo Betalia, the largest of Cytheria's military training fields, although not the only one. Here soldiers practice the art of battle. They are sharpened like the swords they carry so that they may defend Cytheria. Come. Celia started down a gravel path, beckoning the others to follow. She led them out to the middle of the expansive area and stopped in front of a sandy field where thirty or more soldiers engaged in a mock battle. In Cytheria, said Celia, with all the civic pride one person could muster, soldiers act as one. They move as one. They fight as one. Isra watched as a group of ten or fifteen Cytherian men in full military uniform charged with spears raised toward a line of wooden practice dummies across the white field. Behind the targets, another line of soldiers loaded slings with rocks and started swinging them. It didn't take long for Isra to understand, at least in principle, the point of the exercise. The spearmen surged forward until one among them gave an order. The soldiers halted their advance and lined up to form a solid wall with their shields. The soldiers on the opposite side released their stones. The rocks clattered against the shield wall, and, once the danger had passed, the line advanced. It was like the children's game, where a group of kids had to stop moving whenever the one in front turned around, only with spears and rocks. The soldiers on the other end loaded their slings, and the leader of the advancing force called for a charge. That is the most important Cytherian ideal, Celia explained. Every person lives and functions, not as lone interests, but part of something bigger. Cytheria is its people, and the people are Cytheria. There is no difference. The charge halted just in time for the soldiers to stop and raise their shields before the volley of stones struck again. Once the last rock bounced against the shields, the leader shouted an order, and the line advanced. So all people function as servants to the state? asked Isra, although it was less a question than a flat statement. No personal ties to family, friends, or even clans? Celia looked confused for a moment. I am not sure I understand. Is there anyone else they serve but the Arain Ha? Celia brought her hands together and closed her eyes, as if saying a prayer. There was a time when individual houses would compete for control of the Salagran, for control of Cytheria. But in those times, Cytherians worked against each other. It is effort wasted. Here, everyone works for a unified purpose. It functions. Only a few meters away, the soldiers on the left side released their stones before the squad leader called for a halt. The soldiers tried to push through, running forward even as stones flew at them. A few managed to raise their shields in time, but the rest were struck down by the barrage, and only half of the original group managed to reach their target. A stone hit one soldier so hard that it knocked off his helmet and sent him flailing backward into the sand where he lay still. Celia let out a disappointed sigh. Most of the time, I apologize. These soldiers are new, still learning. Althea looked around with exasperation. What are the medics? Is someone going to help that man? Celia regarded her with curiosity. I'm sorry, I'm not sure. Oh, bugger this, muttered Althea, sprinting out onto the sand. Wait, a sinhora, called the emissary. Althea, snapped Isra, as she and Celia ran out to follow her. 
Althea knelt beside the fallen soldier and looked into his eyes. Can you hear me? Are you okay? The man blinked a couple of times at her, bewildered, as a stream of blood trickled down his face from a sizable gash across his head. Before she could do anything else, a group of soldiers pushed her out of the way and helped the man to his feet. He staggered, but, with their help, was able to walk away. What are they taking him? Althea asked as she stood up. He should be looked at. There's a very good chance he has a concussion. Celia patted her on the shoulder. Soldiers, take care of him. He will be well. Please, we must go. The emissary turned, but Althea continued to watch the soldiers carry the man away. Isra touched her hand. Althea, they will handle it. Yes, said Althea. I'm quite sure they will. Celia led them to another part of the training ground, bordered on one side by a road. A colto streamed in both directions, and groups of soldiers marching in formation passed as well. In front of them, a group of twenty or more boys ran weapons drills. An older man in front of them shouted orders, Advanza! The boys took a step forward, with their shields in front of them, and gave a loud, sharp cry in perfect unison. Striker! The boys thrust the spear forward and cried again. These soldiers proved themselves in Provocayo only days ago, said Celia, admiring them. They are already a force in Vincevel. Impressive, said Isra, without the remotest indication of admiration in her voice. Tell me, how long has Cytheria been at war? Again, Celia looked confused. I'm not sure I understand. Hey, look, said Althea, motioning to the road. It's the Arinha. Isabel was indeed walking down the road, accompanied by a formation of ten soldiers, each with large, colorful crests made from feather or animal hair. The drill instructor yelled, Solta! And the entire formation dropped their spears, which fell noiselessly to the sand. Sim, said Celia, Arinha has many duties. She visits soldiers who have fought in battle. She offers her strength to the wounded. She attends births, deaths. She goes to births. Althea asked sharply, completely failing to hide her interest. Celia frowned. Seem as many as she can. A child touched by the Arenha on their first day will more likely pass Provacayo. Althea watched the Arenha's entourage intently as they marched away, then spun around to look at Isra, who knew, without speaking, what Althea wanted to do. Isra's gut twisted at the thought, but she couldn't keep ignoring that strange, nagging feeling. Isra blinked, long and hard to communicate that she understood, and Althea nodded back. "'Who exactly are you at war with?' Isra repeated, turning to the emissary. Celia blinked a few times, as if she didn't understand what Isra was getting at. "'Why, we fight Cosario. Cytheria has always fought against Cosario.' "'Cytheria is always at war,' Isra added. "'Seem if that's what you mean.' Cosario threaten our people, our farms, and our city. Of course we fight them. I see, Isra continued, keeping the emissary's attention focused on her. They must be terrifying. Celia nodded. Seem horrible. They come, they burn what they will, they kill whoever they find. They would destroy all of these. The drill in front of them continued. The young soldiers unsheathed their swords and thrust them forward at the instructor's command and screamed war cries as they did. So horrible, even an army as strong as Cytheria cannot defeat them. Celia sucked in a breath between her teeth. Something in her eyes suggested a rising rage, but it was tempered. What do you mean? Isra returned her attention to the drill. Obviously, 
a military as fierce as this should have no problem defeating almost any army of comparable strength. It says something that these Corsario have not been defeated. They must be powerful. Something in Celia's body language suggested a conflict. Come with me. I will show you... Where is the other? Where is Althea? Isra looked around and called out while pretending to be shocked by her absence. Althea? Althea? Isra sighed. We should look for her. No need. Celia waved her hand at a nearby soldier who ran up. One of the people from Earth has gone missing. Spread the word to find her. We must ensure her safety. The last bit, Isra had no doubt, was added for her benefit. The soldier nodded and ran off. They will find her soon. Do not worry. I am not worried. Althea is smart and resourceful. She can take care of herself, said Isra, smiling. There was something you wanted to show me. Celia started walking. You must see, I think, what this enemy we fight can do if we do not stop them. Vega walked at the head of a military formation next to Gabriel. The city built on the steep, rugged mountains was a couple of kilometers behind them now. Beyond that were golden fields of grain, orchards of fruits and olives, and pastures where sheep and cattle grazed. Those began to give way now to bare, rocky ground as they continued to move down the gentle slope of the Maxwell Mons. Every step they took down the mountain kicked up the temperature a couple degrees. Vago took off his wide-brimmed white hat and wiped the sweat from his forehead. He estimated the heat climbed at least 20 degrees since they left the heart of the city. Vago swore he could take off his shirt and twist a gallon of sweat out of it, but the heat didn't seem to bother anyone else. The other soldiers marched in perfect unison, along soil baked to the hardness of concrete beneath the heat. The formation stopped at a long pile of rock, dirt, and debris, that was a little taller than he was, and went as far as Vago could see in either direction. Gabriel called for a halt, then turned to him. This is Modesto's wall, the barrier between Cytheria and the wild outlands. Wall was an interesting term for what Vago saw. The word implied masonry, or some form of construction at least. Modesto's wall could be replicated by an earth mover in about ten minutes, as it was little more than a pile of rocks and dirt packed into a straight line. For an incoming invasion, it would be little more than an annoying speed bump. I was expecting something more... wall-like, said Vega. Gabriel smiled and then turned to the embankment. When Maximiliano Modesto reclaimed Cytheria from the raiders, he decreed this wall be built. It was originally meant to be a wall constructed around the entire city, but we soon discovered Corsario would attack the builder groups so they built the wall out of the remains of the farms and dwellings the raiders destroyed. Gabriel clambered up the divide, dislodging loose dirt and rocks as he went, and motioned for Vago to follow. It wasn't much of an obstacle, but it was high and steep enough that he couldn't see what was just beyond it. When Vago reached the top, it took him a moment to understand exactly what he saw on the other side. At first glance, the land beyond the wall looked exactly what lay within the walls, except that, out there... Several smooth white stones punctuated the dull, orange-brown rock of Venus. He noticed a Cytherian spear stuck into the ground about a hundred meters away with one of the white stones, as large as a bowling ball, mounted on the end. There were others like it spaced at regular intervals. That's when Vago figured it out. 
the white stones mounted on spears were human skulls facing the opposite direction, perhaps as a warning to whatever terrible thing existed further down the mountain. The whole scene, in fact, was a massive boneyard that stretched the entire length of the embankment. Cytherian warriors are bred from birth to be the finest of warriors, Gabriel continued. I am confident they are the match against any military force in the universe. Still, the enemy we fight on our borders every day test our strongest warriors. Do you know what makes a warrior great, Vago? Testicles like boulders and brains like pebbles, muttered Vago. Then he added in Cytherian, I do not know. Gabriel laughed. It was an eerie sound in this macabre setting. I speak of honor, friend. Honor makes men into myths and mere soldiers into legends. I don't understand, Gabriel. Why'd you bring me out here? To understand the Cytherian warrior, you must not only understand the how, you must understand the why. Vega closed his eyes. The air reeked of sulfur and death. Are you telling me you only fight for honor? We fight to defend Cytheria, said Gabriel. But any person can fight. A dog will fight if threatened. For a true warrior, fighting is an art. It must bring satisfaction. Vago looked again out over the field of the dead, then back at the soldiers still standing in perfect attention. Killing your enemies does not give you satisfaction. Gabriel breathed in deep, as if he were thinking about something. It is like this. As animals, we could eat off the ground. We could live off fruits and grass and kill with our teeth. But we cook meals and add spice. We enjoyed the food in the company of others. It is a pleasure, not only a necessity. We could rot in the field like sheep or the cows, but we enjoy Arte de Liara. Do you understand? I think so. What has that got to do with me? Gabriel glanced down with a particular emphasis on the spot right by his heart where his handguns bulged in his jacket. Your weapons, are you good with them? Vago drew one of his guns from his shoulder holster. He aimed at one of the skulls mounted on the spear. He pulled the trigger, and the bone shattered into white dust. The shot echoed for nearly a minute across the barren landscape. Gabriel gave Vago's gun a kind of sad, knowing look. It is as I suspected. I heard tales of small Lanza Fogo and the old stories of Earth. I never thought one could actually exist. Vago turned the phrase Lanza Fogo over in his head until his programmed knowledge of the Cytherian language told him what it meant. Firelands. In rough concept, it was probably the nearest word they had for gun. Yeah, I've Lanza Fogo here. Vago holstered his pistol. It is the weapon of the Casario replied Gabriel. They take what they want from our farms and mines. What they cannot take, they burn. They fight without honor. I see, said Vega. True honor comes from seeing your enemy's face as he dies by your sword. Only raiders kill from a distance. There is no honor in that. Ah, thought Vega. So that was the way of things. Gabriel was about to offer him a challenge which he knew he should refuse. He was here to observe, report, and provide a clearer understanding of Cytherian culture, not, and he could almost hear Isra's voice in his head, engage in stupid, dangerous displays that accomplished nothing but to service his ego. But, in the back of his head, he thought of Captain Colton. He had to admit the thrill of a fight was one of the few things that still made his tattered mind feel anything. Then he thought back to Althea. Without a word, Vago pulled the clip from both his firearms, emptied the chambers, and replaced them in their holsters. 
He slipped his jacket off and, with it, the guns in their holsters. He handed the shoulder holsters to Gabriel and put his khaki jacket back on. Do you have a spear? Mago asked, adjusting his hat. Gabriel called one of the soldiers to the top of the embankment. Please give Vago the honor of borrowing your weapons on this day, and make sure this gets back to the Sala Grande. Our friend is gracious to us, but I do not believe he wishes to be without his weapons forever. The soldier climbed to the top, handed Vago his spear and shield, followed by the small sword in a sheath strapped to a belt. Then he took the guns, bowed, slid back down the embankment, and sprinted up the hill toward the city. Gabriel slapped Vago's back. We have much land to cover on this day. If today we fight, we fight with extra glory with you by our side, friend. Vago laughed as he started to strap on the belt and the sword. For a split second, his eye caught the runner as he disappeared into the distance with his guns in hand and felt a slight twinge in his gut. He was rarely unarmed and certainly not while on a mission. He had been without clothes earlier that day, but now he felt truly naked. Spear and shield in hand, he made his way back down the embankment where the line of soldiers still waited. The captain of the guard gave the order, and they started marching along Modesto's wall. As Vega walked next to Gabriel, he couldn't help that sick, nagging feeling that he was walking wide-eyed and purposefully into a trap. At the same time, he tried to ease that anxiety. Cytheria seemed peaceful enough at the moment. These corsarios, if they were really out there, hadn't stirred up too much trouble yet. Besides, what were the chances that they would attack while they were visiting the city? Then Vago thought about it again. They were important guests of the Cytherian court, and somebody clearly had a grudge against the city. Add to that the fact that the shuttle parked outside the city gates wasn't exactly inconspicuous. Okay, maybe this was a slight mistake. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.